0: There are now two challengers to the President of the United States in the Republican primary. One is South Carolina's very own Mark Sander, that deserves at least some attention, plus some good questions and feedback from you on this edition of the Cory Act Show. This is Indeed, We have a ton to do on this show today, the Corey Truax Show, but first, I actually want to start today with this. I have that other show, maybe you recall, I have South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. I've been graciously added to the Palmetto Family Podcast Network here in South Carolina. And there's a show I published there last week that I'm getting a, some feedback on from from some people. It's started a lot of discussions and I really want this audience to go over there and hear it. So let me tease this for you, see if I can convince you to go over and listen to South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. Wherever you are listening to me now, if you just search South Carolina Connections in the search bar, you'll find me. I learned some things, basically, and then because of what I learned, it started to uh, required me to question some of my presuppositions of things that I already believe. I think most of us recognize that the relationship between the employee and the employer is pretty bad right now. For a lot of you out there listening, it it seems like, and I don't think it seems like, it is just the case that employers 40, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, cared more about their employees than the corporations and the companies of today. And so I I know this to be true, even of my own experience in life, and how I compare it to those who are a generation behind me. And... I started to think through why, what happened, and then I learned what happened. I, th- I learned it on, a, on another podcast. And I have a story to tell you there. I have a story to tell you about how work used to be in the United States and work isn't that way anymore. And there's some, here's where the discomfort comes in. I don't have a solution, and also some of the things that it makes me question are deeply held principles of my own. And so that's a weird place to be, I actually said on that episode. It's a weird place to be as a podcast host or show host to say, here's a problem. I know how it happened. Uh, Here's the history of it. I have no idea if we can even solve it. That's a weird place to be. So would you be so kind to go over and find South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax, to listen to that episode, and then give me your feedback on what I have learned? Now, we're doing the Corey true Show. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk here. Thank you for listening on 91 or 92.9, 91.9 and 92.9. That's right. FM in the Upstate of South Carolina or wherever you're listening to the podcast. I am grateful. The uh, every episode of the show by the way on demand. You can always go listen to some of the backlogs. I would be highly appreciate that if you would uh, if you would do that as well. All right, we should probably dive in to some actual content. There was one other thing I usually tell you about myself. That's it. I'm also the pastor for teacher teaching at Beechwood Church, and Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina at 10.30 on Sunday mornings, and you are invited. I'm going to start with a question from a listener named Anna. Anna went back and found, like I just encourage you to do, some old episodes of mine and was listening to some things I had said previously. We're talking years ago. And she asks a good question that requires us to think through some things. So on that particular episode, I was talking about demographics and the, the reality that we have—we're having fewer kids than ever. So the—I just give you some of the. Again, I'm a census nerd, census, census bureau nerd, and I'm doing these stats off the top of my head. So I'm probably off by a little, but not by much. But if you just go back 40 years, you know, the average woman was having her first kid in her early to mid 20s. And now it's much more likely for a woman to be having her first child in her late twenties to early thirties. The average woman a generation ago was having th- almost four kids. The average the average woman now is going to have it's now le- less than two or right at two. It's like one point nine or it's really close. And the, but the kids we are having now, the demographics show are prim- are in majority coming from families that say they are religious, and so there was this there was this hope I think folks of more traditional values had in the last couple of decades that, the, that secularism was literally going to kill itself. Because secularism, the more secular a culture is, it actually leads to having fewer kids. Family isn't as highly valued in secular cultures. Progressivism as a political philosophy doesn't value family as much. And so the idea was... Well, it's only really the Christians who are having kids. It's only really those with tradi- people with traditional values that are having kids. Therefore, we're going to end up having a generation of people that only were brought up or majority were brought up in these traditional religious families. And so the the country is going to skew towards more traditional values and maybe even uh, of deeper faith. And that was a point I was making. And I've been making that point for a long time, by the way, uh, back in two thousand. Eight and nine, when I was on Dr. Tony Bean's show, Christian Worldview, I was making this point about demographics. If you ever want to read a good book on this, there's one by Mark Stein called America Alone. Really, really important book about the demographics of the world and what cultures and what peoples are having kids, what cultures and what peoples aren't having kids, and how that might shape the world going forward. But in any event, I've been saying this for over 10 years. And Anna writes in with a really good question. She says, and you know, here you are saying that the people who are actually having kids are primarily religious and have traditional values but the country just seems to be only getting more secular, less christian crazy secular progressive values like how did the how can both things be true how can it be that it's the most religious and traditional people having the most kids but our culture continues to be more secular and non-traditional or even liberal or progressive in their views. So Anna asks what I would just call a brilliant, it's a brilliant question. It's a good pickup because there is a, those two facts shouldn't be able to coincide. So I started mulling it over and thinking it through on what, poss- what could lead us here. And I came up with something of an answer. The problem is definitions, as it often is. We, we were saying the people who are having kids are the people uh, with the most traditional values, uh, the people with, uh, with a religious background. But that just means self-identified. In those Census Bureau studies, that's just people filling out a form saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. There's not a follow-up on, do you go to church anywhere? Have you been to church in the last year, two years, three years? In what ways do you practice Christianity? Do you pray with any regularity? When was the last time you picked up a Bible? Uh, what, listen to any Christian podcast, even? Like, wh- what do you mean you're a Christian? And so the the problem we have is that I was looking at those numbers in previous generations, going, "Well, it is it's the Christians, it's the people with traditional values that are having all the kids," but they weren't really the Christians or people with traditional values. And even if they were had traditional values, they weren't truly living out. The faith in a genuine way. It was just a label they put on themselves to fit in with the culture they were in. I'm going to give you an example of this. It's going to hurt some feelings. It it blows my mind the amount of parents who are surprised when their 18 or 19 year old totally gives up on the faith, starts acting like a hoodlum, and in conversation, you know. You do this. These families have this impression, like, we were a good Christian family. We had them in church, and I don't know what happened to them. And then further, as you dig deeper, oh, you mean you had them in church like once every six weeks because you had them playing baseball every Sunday from morning till night? You organized your entire family's budget and calendar around the kids' sports calendar? You didn't organize your family around the, 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 the things that Christians do? You allowed secular things and other things to dominate your family? No, you showed up to church every now and then? No, you weren't a Christian family. It was a part of your little culture, especially in the South, that you just did it sometimes. It was good to say you member somewhere, and so you had that as part of your life, but it wasn't a centerpiece. It wasn't the centerpiece. And there were other ways in which you could put Jesus on as a label, and you don't really mean it, and that's where, I'm, that's where I made the mistake. I made the mistake of seeing people who said check the box, yeah, I'm a Christian family, and it didn't actually mean anything to them. Does it doesn't change anything about how they live? They live just like the world does. So that that's one part. The second so that's the I thought a bunch of Christians were having babies, but I was wrong. People who call themselves Christians but don't otherwise in any way practice it were having babies, and so I had that wrong. When it comes to tra- traditional values, I think it's more broadly this, you know, you have folks who are not actually practicing Christians but they have traditional values that it's good for a man and a woman to be married uh, before they have kids. That uh, it's good to tell the truth um, and be be loyal to your family and your hometown and be and work hard to take care of yourself, to be independent, to be generous to others. These are traditional values. But then you send kids off often into. And listen, I'm not I'm not a public school basher by any stretch. I'm not. I promise. I think a lot. There's a lot of great public schools out there. There's a lot of terrible ones, but there's a lot of terrible Christian schools too. But we send our kids off into a very secular culture. And they're discipled and inundated with secular values and non-traditional values. And they hear about the madness of the secular progressive agenda all the time. And then we place before them celebrities and stars and music and TV. And they disciple them in secular progressive thinking. And so, for that matter, these kids that get to 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, and they're in these secular campuses. You don't have a culture on these mostly secular campuses that are uh, just neutral towards faith or traditional values. They're actually hostile. That if you still think these things that your parents thought, then you're a moron. You're an idiot. You need to be destroyed. You're a hater. And so I was wrong. And it asked a good question. And the a- answer to it is, yeah, I, I saw that wrong for ten years. I kept thinking, you know there here we have these secular progressives they're just going to they're literally aborting themselves out of existence they're they they have and this is normal throughout human history as a country becomes less religious it has fewer kids and so uh, it, it ends up being that those are the cultures that fall cuz they didn't have enough kids to replace themselves you end up trying to replace people with immigration as Im- immigrants come in they bring their own culture they bring their own values and then you have uh, the you know, the old uh, the old adage or example is you don't have a melting pot anymore. You have vegetable soup, so you don't have a melting pot of a bunch of different cultures coming together, but still unifying around the, the first culture, the uh, e pluribus unum, the out-of-many-one. Instead, you have vegetable soup, where everything actually maintains its own integrity, and it just has to live together all all in the same, same place or the same pot, as it were, in that illustration. So, uh, it's never fun to say I'm wrong, but I was wrong, and that's why. That's why I ended up being wrong. the The culture is quickly secularizing. The culture is is to, is totally dropping any vestige of previous values, what we thought was important, and it is because we had a a fake American version of Christianity that we were calling real, and because the pop culture leads people to secularism and progressive values. There's probably some part portion in there I could do on immigration. Immigration as well and how that changed the culture and diminished some of the original values. But we might do that on another show. Okay, so when we come back, I have another question from a listener I want to get to about the electoral college and then I do have some thoughts about these two guys, Joe Walsh and Mark Sanford have decided to run in the Republican primary against President Donald Trump. We'll talk about that and a lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. It occurs to me, coming out of that last break, that I did a lot of complaining of parents who called themselves Christians and didn't actually uh, live their lives and lead their households in a Christian way. But maybe I should also give some affirmation. Hey, parents that are doing a good job, I know it's hard. I don't know from personal experience that it's hard, but it looks like the hardest thing in the whole world to do the parenting thing. Uh, you know, I got to do that tangentially with two nephews that lived in the house as they were babies, and, you know, we're still very close to the nephews. So, and I had something of a dad role, but I know it's different. And um, so the, some of you parents out there, you deserve to be affirmed. You are taking it seriously. You know that one of your primary jobs on this earth is to disciple your children. In Christian thinking and biblically, and you're, you're faithful to those things, and so uh, I just threw a bunch of people under the bus and said mean things about some parents, but there's also some awesome parents, and you're doing great, and the country is better for you. Your culture is better because of the work you're doing, so thank you. Hey, would you uh, would you tell others about the show? I'd be great, grateful if you would, and share it on social media. I had a good friend. I'm actually going to give her a shout-out by name this time, Emily put out on Instagram that she was listening to the show. And so thank thank you to her. But also, there's a lot of you listening, and some of you keep it a secret. So don't keep it a secret. Tell others about the show. And you are listening to The Corey Truax Show, where we are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything. You can get every episode of the show on demand on, uh, on any of the podcasting apps at CoreyTruax.com. Also, connect to the show and to me on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, what's the other one? Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On Twitter, you're prim- primarily just going to get football thoughts from me. That's what I'm primarily using that for. And maybe a snide comment from time to time, just some sarcasm, uh, but that's that's my Twitter platform. All right, let's get back to work. Got another email uh, from a listener. You can email the show at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. This one did not have a name, so I guess this person's name is anonymous. But they were listening to another show from previous episodes. I wish you guys would just stay caught up so you're not listening to old episodes. But I defended... The Electoral College, and this person is essentially saying uh, the Electoral College is a backward thing; uh, it's totally undemocratic. It gives too much. It, it gives it gives the ability. This is what, I guess his or her argument is it gives the ability for someone to lead who doesn't have the consent of the governed. So you know, more it should be a popular vote on things. The Electoral College is backward. So I have several thoughts on this. If you guys know what that is, right? All my listeners. You're smart people. Electoral college being how we elect the presidents, uh, the president of the United States. It doesn't matter who gets the most popular votes nationally. You have to win electoral college votes, and each state has electoral college votes based on how many people live there. They're based on population, and we reassess that every 10 years in the census. This is particularly hot button because Donald Trump is a very divisive figure, and he lost the popular vote by 3 million votes, and Hillary Hillary Clinton beat him nationally, but he won the Electoral College, uh, that happened in two thousand as well. I mean, Al Gore did; he lost Florida fair and square, but he won the national popular vote, and George W. Bush was elected on that on those grounds. And so, I understand there being some trepidation about the idea of having someone elected who wasn't quote democratically elected. But I wanted to defend the Electoral College again here with a little bit more meat on the bones from when I did it previously. We are not supposed to be democratic. That's a terrible way to run a government. The founders thought this. Uh, Cicero thought this. Um, Some of Plato thought this. And, and this should be for a reason that especially folks on the left should be uh, should be sympathetic to. The idea of a democracy doesn't have any protection for the minority. It's a straight majority rule. Most of the people that the left say they're concerned about, the the poor and the uh, the marginalized, uh, or those pushed to the margins of society, where they're going to be able to have, uh, they're going to be taken advantage of by the majority and they have no minority protections. The Electoral College is part of the bulwark of making sure that the majority can't lord over the minority. The government that the founders set up in the Constitution has safeguards everywhere in here. So actually this is one of my one of my favorite moments in presidential politics was when Rick Perry was running for president in twenty twelve in that primary, and one of the first things he said in a debate was, I'll consider it my job to make it not matter to you who the president is. Like, what what a great pledge. Like I, I want the power of the presidency, I want the power of the federal government to be so diminished that is not so life and death about who has this job all the time. And what a great moment that was. And he was speaking to something about how we've set all of this up. So the Electoral College, for one, that this gives a route, there's a route to this position of president for those who may not win the national popular vote. There's still a route there through certain states and and, uh, convincing those people so that the majority just doesn't rule over them. Same thing as I've explained before. If you don't like what the federal government the federal government is doing, oh well, great! I've got good news. There's states, and the states are supposed to pull against the power of the federal government. And you don't like what your state is doing? Okay, cool. Well, look at the federal government here. It's supposed to pull against the power of that. And you say I don't like what the judiciary is doing? Okay, real well, cool. We got the Congress. The Congress is supposed to be in tension with the judiciary over power. And you say, well, I don't like what Congress is doing or the president's doing. Well, I got it. great news. I have this: the, the judiciary and the the Congress all pulling against each other. The fed federal pulling against the state. And we're going to spread power out. Like It's one of the things that people people say about our own congressional system. It's so inefficient, it doesn't really work. The, the filibuster makes things so hard. Because this was actually part of the design. The design was create a system where you do actually need some consensus. You need a majority or sometimes super majority of people to agree so that you can't have majority plus one. So 50% plus one can't Violate the rights of uh, of minorities, and so the Electoral College is part of that. I think it's a brilliant system. You know, th- one more note on this: there, there's a there's an effort afoot to do away with the Electoral College without having to remove it from the Constitution, because there were there's some bills going through state legislatures that say we're going to give our Electoral College votes to whomever wins the national popular vote. So we'll use South Carolina for an example, since I'm sitting here. South Carolina has nine Electoral College votes. In 2016, those went to Donald Trump. But if the South, the South Carolina legislature, according to the Constitution, they can reward our Electoral College votes however they want. The way that we reward them is the majority of votes in the in that one state. But they can pass, and the governor can sign here, a bill that says we're not doing that anymore. Whoever wins the national popular vote, that's who we're giving our votes to. And in that case, they would have gone to Hillary Clinton in 2016. And so the moment that enough states do that, where it equals 270, because that's how many Electoral College votes you need, the moment enough states do that to make it 270, then you have actually abolished the Electoral College without having to remove it from the Constitution. You've just done it functionally. You've done it through a back door. I oppose those efforts, and here recently a judge struck down one of those. I, I don't think that judge is correct, because states do have the right to award their electors however they want. I'm not comfortable with doing away with the Electoral College in a backdoor way, but states technically have the right to do it. So there you go to whoever wrote me about the Electoral College. The The thing you, to focus on, uh, I'm not saying our system is perfect, but one of the, one of the things the Electoral College does well is it serves as one of the many tools in making sure that the majority can't dominate the minority and also to pull on power and tensions, the, the the balance of powers throughout the entire government system. Next up, maybe I'll, i got this Mark Sanford and Joe Walsh thing, but I, that was, yeah, let's do that first. Here we go. If you haven't heard, Joe Walsh, Joel, Joe Walsh who was part of the, Tea Party movement in 2010. He ran for Congress, I think, in Ohio and won. Uh, Then he left Congress and started a talk show. He was a giant Trump supporter, like obnoxious Trump supporter in 2015 and 16. Uh, And here recently, if you saw him on MSNBC or some of the Sunday morning shows, he has decided to run against President Trump in the Republican primary. And then, maybe more significantly, Mark Sanford who, in my opinion, if you take me back to 2005, 6, 7, if you would have asked me you know, who is the next big thing in the Republican Party, like in 2008 when George W. Bush is going to be leaving, who's going to be the nominee for the Republican Party? I would have said Mark Sanford back then. I thought he was going to be the next big thing, just an, a wildly successful governor in South Carolina, fiscally responsible, with a ton of discipline, and then he did that thing he did, if you recall, where he told everybody he was hiking, and he had an Argentinian mistress, and leaves his wife, and goes, uh, he was with that woman. I don't think he's with that woman anymore. I don't know. He also ran for Congress recently, and won, and then he got beat in a primary the next time around. But Mark Sanford has more of the profile, right? Joe Walsh was a a congressman for a couple terms from a district in Ohio, Mark Sanford was a two-term governor of the first in the South primary state, South Carolina. Like he was once thought of as a potential heir apparent to Republican leadership, and he's announced he he's going to run in the Republican primary against Donald Trump. Now this is all very weird. It typically doesn't happen. Like Barack Obama wasn't challenged by anybody in the Democratic Party in 2012 when he ran for re-election. George W. Bush wasn't really challenged by anybody in 2004 when he ran for re-election against John Kerry. This is this is an odd thing, especially for someone with that kind of prominence like Mark Sanford to step forward and do it. Just got a couple thoughts on both of these guys. One, uh, Joe Walsh is just as Trumpy as Trump is. Like he, he's now saying the right words. He's out there saying we, we have a prop, a moral problem with the president. He's not morally qualified. He says dumb things. Uh, he's, he's not disciplined um, as, as a person. He's kind of out of control. All that's true. And Joe Walsh is prosecuting a good case against the person that is Donald Trump. The problem is Joe Walsh has been that way almost his whole career. He's been really bombastic. Like, I, I can... I guess I just don't believe him. Like I, I'm I hope I hope I'm a person who's quick to forgive. I, I want that to be a part of my character, and believe people can reform and change. But Joe Walsh was saying things about as outlandish as Donald Trump does, and so I, I have no interest in Joe Walsh as a candidacy. And I'm I'm even admitting here none of these candidates really matter. No, no one's going to beat him in a Republican primary. But for those of us like me who want to be able to participate in voting but can't vote for the current president, it would be nice to have someone to go cast a vote for. I feel nice. Um, And so that's where Mark Sanford comes in for me. When Mark Sanford was running for Congress in Charleston a couple years ago. He went on Glenn Beck's radio show for about an hour. Had a very long form interview and what I found of Mark Sanford, and maybe maybe I'm an idiot for believing it, he seemed just so genuinely penitent. He seemed so genuinely broken over what he did. And he also did a good thing. He he spoke the language of repentance even faith. He left the public sphere for a while. He didn't try to stay around like he he went out into the political wilderness for a while. He made no excuses and I was very inspired by him because I believe in restoration for people. I don't think if you make one mistake, we should throw you away for all of time. And I have no problem voting for Mark Sanford. That's a guy who's done terrible things, but he's so humble about it. And he's been so genuinely penitent that on a matter of character, I I like those kind of guys. You know, the the kind of guys who sort of lost everything, they're not scared they're not scared of folks. They're not, I don't think, I don't think they're susceptible to pressure because they've, they've lost a lot. They're not, they're not scared of what anyone's opinion of them is. And so I can go with a lot of comfort and go vote for Mark Sanford. I hope I have the chance to. There is some reporting that there's South Carolina, as far as I can tell, would be illegal that the Republican party is trying to cancel its primary. But, that should not be. F- folks like me should have the ability to go cast our protest vote if we want. Mark Sanford's not going to win a single state, but I bet he could win 30 40% of a primary in South Carolina against against the president, and that would be helpful, I think, to us all. So uh, those are two people running against, the, running against President Trump in the Republican primary. One is, I think, worth considering, even though it's, again, I know no one's beating him it's worth it's worth giving people lo- like me cuz i'm not the only one a voice to, and an option i have one more thing to riff on on this I'll just give you the the example here of what i mean on the, the president's like behavior if if it weren't for the behavior guys the results are so good i could start reading off the stats man the unemployment rate and the economic growth rate for GDP. If you want to get into the employment rate for minority groups, Hispanics, blacks, women, there's a ton we can get into on economic success. We have a problem on spending. This is where Mark Sanford comes in really strong too, is he's you talk about fiscal discipline. He will say the uncomfortable things about all the stuff we need to cut to get the spending under control. But you know Donald Trump hasn't cared about that part of the fiscal. I mean he spins like crazy. Everyone in Congress is spending Spending all of our kids and grandkids and their kids' wealth by by borrowing it and issuing bonds, but in any event, the president, he uh, you know, during that Hurricane Dorian thing, for like five days, he was tweeting about the media making like the media made fun of him for a map he held up about Dorian maybe going into Alabama, and so the media made some comments, and tr- he just can't handle it for. Like, the, the correct thing to do is nothing. The correct thing to do is move on with your life, man. But the, a grown man, an old man, spent who was happens to be president of the United States, you would expect with some other things to do, spends days tweeting about the map he held up about Hurricane Dorian affecting Alabama. Like, just grow up. Be an adult. And then, he he goes. Mark Sanford announces he's running for president, and so Trump immediately gets on Twitter and goes after him. Like this is, this is not good behavior. It's just not helpful to anybody. But there you go. That's some presidential news for you. Another piece of presidential news before we move on to. I have a a faith related thing I want to do today, but before, before we move on to that, if you didn't see. Well, and less than a million people watched it, so you, you probably didn't. CNN did a very long hours long climate thing uh, where Democratic presidential candidates got together and talked about global warming. and that that should have like they, they should be billing. CNN should bill t- the Trump campaign for the free advertising. Some of the ideas and stupidity that came out of that was it's it's an advertisement. Before re-elect Donald Trump. That's how bad it was. There, there was so many sound bites in that thing about plastic straws and eating what the, the burgers we eat and the taxes that are gonna have to go up. there was there were so there was so much stupidity in radicalism that you just whoever ends up being the Democratic nominee, they're just gonna go back and grab all this crazy stuff they said during that climate discussion. And put it in every commercial during the campaign season because they went ahead and said a bunch of sh- just crazy things. Uh, I would, I I, pre- I, didn't, I didn't have time to prepare for you a a montage of it, but there's plenty of good ones out there on YouTube if you want to go watch it. Uh, here, all right. So one more political thing. I'll take into the next segment as well. Anyway, we'll go. We'll take an early break here. Uh, let me give you a preview of it. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, when he started running for president, I thought he was going to be. Like a younger Biden, like kind of a moderate guy, a moderate voice. He did start like that, but I think as I've discussed before, he thought his his route was to being the most radical, and he's become the most radical. He's just a he's talking like a crazy left winger, and now he's trying to use the Bible a lot. And if if you know anything about me, that'll get my hackles up, gonna get me riled up when you start abusing the scripture. And he's been doing that lately. And so when we come back from this break, I want to tell you how he's been doing that and correct that moronic quoting and the, the moronic use, the immoral use of Scripture to make his political points. And then we have that big video that Benny Hinn did, uh, kind of repenting of some of his previous statements. We'll do that. We'll do a lot more when you come back for the rest of The Cory Act Show. usually pretty blunt with our audience, but I'm, I'm, I tend to be transparent. Maybe you're noticing nothing this week happened in the news that particularly interested me. I'm tr- like I, I am scraping, like without those two, um, those two great emails from uh, from listeners. I'm just I'm telling you some things that I guess kind of matter. But usually something happens during the week where I go, got it, that's my podcast, that's going to be the big topic, or several things happen. But that has not happened this week because there's just so much stuff that I'll give you the example. I I pull up my favorite news site, and I got a bunch of stuff happening with Hong Kong. Okay, I could, I don't have anything really to say. I got one that's about Joe Biden looking sleepy, and he jumbles his words and coughs a bunch. He doesn't seem to have control of himself. I don't really have anything to say about that. Uh, I got Trump meeting with the Taliban at Camp David or then may, maybe canceling that. Got no interest in it. Uh, What else? I'm on on this page. Uh, Iran is working on nuclear stuff, even though there's there's the nuclear deal that was supposed to stop them. We've got a bunch of warnings about e-cigarettes and they're going to have some some damage damage to people who use them. By the way, don't do that. It's a terrible idea, uh, the e-cigarette thing. But I I just, none of this is particularly interesting to me. And so here's where I'm going to go instead. Pete Buttigieg the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's running for president on the Democratic side, and I liked him at the beginning. Like, he just seemed like a nice person, seemed like a high intellect, and he's just gotten really mean. Uh, I think that's how he thinks... He thinks that's the, the his route to becoming the nominee is just kind of be a jerk to the right people, and the right people are conservatives. And then he also is beloved on the left because he says he's a Catholic, and a faithful Catholic, and he tries to use the Bible to make left-wing points. I discourage... Christians from using the Bible to make right-wing points certainly would discourage using the Bible to make left-wing points. Let's use the Bible to make Bible points. That's what it's there for. I'm going to play for you now something from Pete Buttigieg on some uh, breakfast club, I think is what it's called, some radio show. I mean, I say that condescendingly. A radio show with like 100 times the audience mine has. But nevertheless, let's listen to Mayor Pete Buttigieg and his biblical brilliance. Here you go.
1: Now, right now... They hold everybody in line with this one uh, kind of uh, piece of doctrine about abortion, right, which is obviously a tough issue for a lot of people to think through morally. Then again, uh, you know, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that talk about how life begins with breath. And so even that is something that we can interpret differently and, uh, I'm and pro-choice. take up uh, me, too. Yeah. And, but I think no matter.
0: What- OK, first I would love for you to tell me where these verses are, where life begins at breath. And that obviously not being a biological reality. I mean, we got, what would that mean? I mean, you're essentially saying a child, nine months in gestation, who hasn't happened to breathe outside the womb yet, has a heart and brain and vascular system, cardiovascular system, got an endocrine system that works, like everything's great, but hasn't breathed yet, so not a person. Of course, that's absurd and stupid and insane. It's also not a biblical point. I'll talk about that breath thing a little bit more in a minute. Uh, but he's trying to make this point. Their religious rights have held people captive with this one topic of abortion. Which, by the way, it is, it's is—it's worth being the one topic. It is the murder of children. I'm um, rewind this a little bit uh, to back to Pete Buttigieg in this, uh, whatever the show is called.
1: But the, the kind of cosmic question of how life begins. Most Americans can get on the board with the idea... Of all right, I might draw the line here. You might draw the line there. But the most important thing is the person who should be drawing the line is the woman making the decision. Absolutely. And I think that if you're a man who's against abortion, you haven't gotten the wrong woman pregnant. Like she I mean, your wife. I'm just
0: saying. You know, I'm just saying. We've had some slip-ups. And wow, that's rude. God. That's just dumb from the host. And for that matter, from Pete Buttigieg, the only person, the only person that should make the decision is the pregnant woman. Your pregnancy doesn't make. You, does not. Authorize you to then kill someone, right? Of course, I have an opinion, and, I'll, and, I, and I am not the possessor of a uterus. I nevertheless have an opinion that the person living in the womb should not be should not be killed. All right. So he tried to use the Bible there on breath. This is uh, the old uh, I'm get Hebrew with you on this. The Hebrew word is a ruha. The ruha of God, the breath of God, uh, is what breathes life into Adam and Eve. That's what he's trying to get to, but it's, it's not even a biological r- reality, even in the Bible, to say breath is what gives is what gives you life. But he's tried to do this with other things, too. Um, he's, I'll actually play another one for you. Um, he said something on Bill Maher as they were talking about faith that I want to play for you now, just to give you another taste of what he's doing out there as a left-winger trying to use the Bible for his own agenda.
1: I think the, impo- the important thing is to recognize like, God doesn't belong to a political party. I mean, some of these themes, right. God... Uh, uh, freedom, patriotism, right? Th- these are not things that, uh, that one party should be able to claim, but that's how it's worked out. We, we made it sound like the only way to apply, uh, for example, religious values in politics would be through the lens of the religious right. When, when I go to church, what I hear a lot about is uh, protecting the downtrodden and standing up for the immigrant and being skeptical of authority sometimes uh, and-, and making sure you...
0: <laughs> skeptical of authority. This is not a left-wing value. You guys are super pro-authority. Give the government absolutely all authority. It used, to, it used to be a left-wing value to be skeptical of, you know, don't trust anyone over 30. Remember that? That used to be a left-wing thing. Now it's, please, dad and mom, government, please, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, do everything for us.
1: You look after the poor and the prisoner, I mean... To me, that, that's the sort of thing that the religious left, uh, often without much attention, has been arguing for for, for my whole lifetime. Uh, the same with freedom. You know, this theme that we've allowed our conservative friends to monopolize, as if government were the only thing that could make you unfree. Mm-hmm. When the reality is, you know, your neighbor can make you unfree, your, your, your cable company can make you unfree.
0: How? How can my neighbor make me unfree? Unless my neighbor is imprisoning me, falsely maybe. That's the only way he can make me unfree. How does my cable company make me unfree? I, either I, I do what I said I was going to do and pay them, or I cannot pay them, and they can turn off the service. They can't make me unfree. But you you can see what he's doing here. He's trying to take – he's not even quoting much Bible here, but trying to use it to make left-wing points, and it's just an irresponsible and terrible thing to do.
1: Your your cable company can make you unfree? Being poor um, absolutely. makes you very unfree.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about freedom to, not just freedom from. And the- well, that's one of the big – oh, I, I cannot stand that talking point. Yeah, you need freedom to pursue what you want and freedom, fr- and freedom from those trying to stop you if someone is violating your, uh, the, your natural rights. Barack Obama did something pr- uh, similar to this. He talked about how the Constitution was a charter of negative liberties. So he laid out, correctly, that uh, he, he was be- be- uh, begrudging it. He was bemoaning this fact. But what his point was is the, the Constitution sets up all the stuff the government can't do to you. And it doesn't say what the government must do for you. And that is exactly correct. That's what we wanted. We want documents and laws that say what can't be done to us. And then we don't need a document to tell us what the government must do on our behalf because we are adults.
1: The way that you're free to start a small business if you have health care. Uh, the way that right. you're free to to marry. The-
0: you're not free to start a business if you don't have health insurance. Uh, that would surprise, I don't know, 99% of business owners... Over the entire 200-and-some-odd-year history of the United States of America?
1: The person you love, uh, if the law of the land is that a county clerk can't impose their religion on you. So whether we're talking about faith, whether it's freedom, whether it's patriotism, I I think we need to assert that often those very values can point us in our progressive direction and that no party ought to have a monopoly on them.
0: Yeah, no party should have a monopoly on it. That's true. Uh, I'm not comfortable with how how, uh, related republicanism is with Christianity. It's not good. But Pete gets a gets a lot of these wrong. the The abortion one, without a doubt. Uh, but then his his general philosophy on, like even just go economics. He he's made some arguments there about how the uh, the the biblical economics are going to be where you, you that for example it'd be like healthcare. He's talking about some kind of social program. That's that's not at all what the the Bible gives us is. It's not go seek out political power to take things from some people and then give it to others because that's so charitable of you. I would love to get in a room with Pete Buttigieg and make that point. You know, it's not charitable. You're not doing anything like you're not doing thing good from your own heart if you are seeking to take from A and give to B. The heart of the actual scripture is you are A, give to B. Do something good for someone else. Be generous with whatever the Lord gives you, not seek power to impose your values on other people. Don't seek power to take resources from people you don't like and give it to people you do like. That an immoral thing. The call of Scripture is for us to be the good Samaritan, not to be someone who uh, the good Samaritan sees the guy on the road and decides he needs to go fight for a different politician to be in power so that there could be a government program for this. No, his, his argument, that the biblical argument, is do good to others. Be generous. Be kind. Be patient with those around you. All right, so Pete Buttigieg, uh, is, he's trying to be the pope or something, um, and it's, it's really obnoxious with him using uh, the scripture that he's trying to use. All right, next up, Benny Hinn. A couple of you sent this to me. I had no interest in it. But, uh, fine, here we go. Benny Hinn is the fraud over the last, I don't know, he seems like my whole life he's been on TV, fake healing people and pushing people over and uh, having emotional events uh, that are, are purported to be healings. And then he also was a prosperity gospel type guy, that God's plan for you is to give him money, you sow a seed, and then God will reward you with more resources. That's that's what God wants for you. He has come out and said that he's changed that prosperity gospel. He he's he called it all kinds of bad names. They have removed videos from his website where he talks about sowing a seed and letting the Lord have the reap the harvest in your life, as it was material wealth. Because the prosperity gospel, the idea that God wants us all to be rich, is of course scripturally inept. You look at Jesus' followers, very few were wealthy. There were some wealthy ones, Joseph of Arimathea, we could name a few. Zacchaeus ends up being a wealthy guy, but this is not this is not a scriptural mandate that we we're all seeking to be rich. Like, specifically, we're we're called to, th- to value things that are above, not things that are of this world. And so Benny Hinn Says he doesn't believe that stuff anymore. They even take down the videos. And I'm going to be really genuine here. I'm grateful for that. I, again, the same thing I said about Mark Sanford. I want to be somebody who assumes the best, believes the best, believes there can be restoration, believes there can be change. If Benny Hinn continues with the healing situation, the fake healings, we still got a problem. But him uh, eschewing the prosperity gospel is helpful. My counsel is just to watch and wait. Let's let's see if it's consistent. If he consistently doesn't teach it anymore, then let's be grateful. Let's be thankful. And if you can... He, I still wouldn't call him a good Bible teacher. And if he continues again with the healing stuff, he's certainly not a good Bible teacher, and we should... Still not, not someone uh, you should pay attention to. Okay. What I'm about to do to maybe end the show is not for everybody, and I'm going to recognize that. One of the things I appreciate about you, the listener is I, I do have, especially when it comes to age groups, I have a wide variety of you people. Apparently there's some high schoolers listening, and I got some folks retired who are listening. Like, I've got a wide array. This next thing is going to skew to the younger set and to a very specific uh, music taste. And But once you get past the beginning, I think every, what I'm about to say is universal. I want to talk to you about the latest Taylor Swift album. Now, don't do not turn off this podcast. Don't turn the radio off either. Let me let me convince you that there's something to learn from it. So, Taylor Swift. I will admit, I'm a fan, just a huge fan of Taylor Swift. Uh, not I know not everyone loves her music, but I do. She put out a new album, and it's not her best, but it's okay. And, you know, she also recently got really obnoxious. She put out the uh, "You Need to Calm Down" video. Uh, which is, uh, it's just obnoxious. It's her being a left-wing, woke, scold, and it's just, it's it's an obnoxious thing. But there's some songs on it that I wanted to mention, one less important and then one more important. Number one, there's a song on it called The Man. And this is a, a, like a feminist anthem. It's supposed to be how much easier life would be for Taylor Swift. Like, that's the premise. The premise of the song is, what if Taylor Swift were a dude? Would her life be a lot easier? And she makes some decent points about how she's been given some criticism for all the many, many, many guys she's been with and dated, and men don't get that kind of criticism when they have similar numbers of relationships. I will I can give her that. But she acts like her career would have been easier if she were a dude. All right, honey, and I'm, I'm calling her that on purpose. I'm trying to be demeaning. Listen, over the last 10 years, the top four selling artists have been not in this order because I can't remember the order, have been Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Rihanna, and Carrie Underwood. These are the four biggest selling artists. I think Drake is like fifth. Like, being a woman in the music industry, obviously not hard. A lot of you are making a lot of money in the music industry, so let's quit pretending that it was harder for you because you were a woman. That's one. Two. There is a song on this album that I think is quite important. It's called False God. Taylor Swift's like 30 now. She's getting older, like I am. Uh, And I think we're starting to, I think she's starting to come to some realizations about her own life. Again, I followed her for a long time. And this song, False God, she's not a Christian or anything, but I think she recognizes that the God in her life, in her entire teen years, and she's come up through her 20s, has been romantic inclination, romantic attachment, romantic love. That's been the god of her life. It's what's brought her meaning. It's what she's wanted. It's what she's pursued. And when she's felt like she has been loved and there's this romantic involvement, her life is good. And when she doesn't have that, life is bad. It's been the rubric and the measurement of happiness in her life. And I think she's recognized that is such a terrible way to live. And this song kind of illustrates that. But I think it's worth all of us pursuing the... The idea of what ours might be. Because I think this song is about how I know that this feeling, that these relationships are not going to complete me and make me happy. But we all have those. We all have them in the, in the maybe it's a job. If I had this job, if I was making this much money, if I had this title, if I had th- th- that house, if I had this many kids, if I had this person's approval, that's what I need to feel okay and be okay with myself. For even for me. Maybe it's having this number of listeners. It's having this number of downloads. That's when I know that that's what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to fill it in. And we all have them. And I think it's worthwhile, as we close the show today, to ask yourself to take 60 seconds after you stop listening to this show. Don't just move on to the next thing. Just stop for 60 seconds and ask, what's, what is that for me? What's the thing that I think will bring me happiness? Because here's something I will tell you. There's been times in my life where I thought, if I made that much money, that's really all I need, and I'll be happy. And then I made that much money. And it was like, I, I guess I could have some more. More would be okay. I, I want uh, that title or that experience, or I want to go to that place. And then I do, and it's, it's great. And it, I mean that is awesome. And then it stops being satisfying for a while. That is the nature of all the things on this earth. There is but one that is actually satisfying and fulfilling, and that is some of this, this beauty of Christianity following Jesus as he invites us in, to a relationship that is ultimately satisfying. But just like Taylor Swift in that song, we all have something that we're trying to fill that in with, and I would challenge you to ask yourself what it is for you. All right, that's all the show we have. That's all the time we have for the week. If you would share the show with others, find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Look for me, Corey true You'll find me there. Send me uh, anything you want to have covered on the show as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with another new edition. Until then, peace and love.